Okay, thank you so much for sharing together and connecting. It's so good to see you and to hear the laughter and uh, the connection uh, that's happening there. That's a, a good sign of health among us when we're able to uh, laugh together uh, when we share. I'm, I'm, I'm going to um, invite us into a text this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And I, I want you to imagine the, the crowd that was, that was with Jesus. Most often when Jesus was teaching, we, we'd are note, given a note that there was a crowd there and that perhaps he had gathered his disciples up close to him. Um, just before this text, it's, it's actually part of a larger sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, just beforehand, it talks about the crowds that had been with Jesus. Can you imagine being in a crowd that was full of people who needed healing? Healing from every disease and sickness. So it's a crowd that should have been on the way to the hospital. Okay? There might have been people coughing. There might have been kids with a rash running around. Um, the, the crowd probably wasn't as quiet and um, complacent as you all are. You know, to, to just to, to be quiet and listen. Uh, it was probably a fairly chaotic crowd with kids running around. I don't think there was a, a children's ministry. The, the kids were hanging out and doing their thing, and moms were nursing, and it was just all about full of life in that moment as Jesus was teaching. In fact, it says that there were people there who were suffering various diseases, suffering pain, demon possession, having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So it was a space in which the power of God was also being evident when Jesus was teaching, especially if he wasn't teaching in the synagogue unless he was being confronted on the Sabbath with someone who needed healing. When Jesus was teaching, the, the poor were very much present. In fact, Jesus says of his mission, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. When he begins his sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he leads off in, a, in an acknowledgment of the poor who are present. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus' sermons were most often centered in announcing the reality of the kingdom of God, but also showing, so what? So what shall you do? Because the king is here. Because the kingdom of God is here. This sermon moves through a series of parts that all seem to address the major threat to the kingdom of God. The major threat to the kingdom of God being present and realized in the lives of those who were there was 
self-righteousness, self-adulation, self-determination. Those are the very things we are all conditioned to pursue. And yet his sermon seems to be designed to address them one after another. And when it comes to the aspects of self-determination, Jesus very quickly and rapidly gives pictures of the situation. Two treasures, two focuses, and two lords. That's where we're going to pick up in the sermon. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we take this word that Jesus delivered to a crowd, and we pray that you would deliver it again to this crowd and to each of us. May you radically reform and rearrange how we consider money by helping us draw attention today to the issues of the heart, our treasures, our focuses, and who is Lord of this heart. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when Jesus moves through this, he's getting along really quickly, and he identifies that we have two treasures before us. The reality of the treasures is this, that some treasures last. Heavenly treasures will last. But there's another kind of treasure, and those treasures don't last. So some treasures last, and some treasures don't. I mean, you've all probably experienced this, where you had a favorite sweater. And this winter, when winter came, you went to pull it out, and maybe there was a hole in it. And you're like, rats. Oh, good thing it wasn't rats. It was moths. A moth ate my sweater and put a hole in it. That was my favorite sweater. Or maybe you've had the experience 
of, of having something that was really important to you, like your favorite mug. It was a treasure. It broke. Or you lost it. I know you all loved your Born for More mugs. And you lost it. Those are treasures that can be lost. But there's another kind of treasure, Jesus says, that can be retained, that will last forever. It's those values then that he's speaking of that speak to these treasures, these treasures of friendship or character, of good works, or of the eternal relationship with God. These are treasures that last. And then there's a second reality of the treasures, and that is that the heart gravitates to your treasure. The heart is pulled in by the force field of your treasures. Jesus is speaking here against the self-determination that says, I am the master and commander of my heart. And he says, no, your treasures exert a gravitational pull on your heart. Jesus was familiar with the matters of the heart. Throughout the Old Testament, we are told to guard our heart. For from your heart flows everything. The heart was this picture and metaphor for the sense of will plus affections. And he says the heart gravitates to your treasures. Did any of you all see that terrible film called The Glass Onion on Netflix? Did you see it? I mean, did you feel sick at the end? Did you, did you feel sick about the kind of relationships that were being expressed among one who has billions of dollars? In the picture, millionaire Miles Braun gathers his closest friends for a weekend, and it turns into a true murder mystery experience. Fascinating thing watching that film. For the therapists in the world, the therapists to the rich and famous, they watched the film and were like, it rings true. Kyle Cockrell is a, Clay Cockrell is a, is a writer and therapist. And, and this is what he writes. He says, you watch the film and maybe you wanted to be rich. But trust me, I will never buy a lottery ticket. He says, I don't want that kind of wealth. Nor do I want what goes with it. He goes on to say that the real issues for the very rich are well pictured in that film. He says everything is about going bigger. Go bigger, but there's always less satisfaction. Imagine having everything and not being able to enjoy it. He says, 
The film correctly shows that all relationships are tainted by the power imbalance created by great wealth. All their relationships are tainted by great wealth. He goes on to say then that every interaction becomes tainted with an ask, a fear that someone's going to ask. And then finally, he says, they all become isolated because wealth corrupts people because it robs us of our true treasure, friendship. How many of you want to be rich? Okay, there's a few of you who are honest. We do. We want a little bit more. And the danger, Jesus says, is that that's the gravitational pull of wealth and what we set as our treasures. And he's warning us. I in no way want this sermon series or this sermon itself to somehow be something that's against the rich. Most of us in university are already in some realm of being rich. You are in the 1% of the world getting to study here. It might not feel that way. University is hopefully just a season of transitional poverty. That's how they write about it. Transitional poverty. I had money, and then I didn't. The money came in, and the money went out. I got a bill. It was called student fees. I had never seen so much money in my account, and then it went out. (laughs) But Jesus is clear that even in the setting of the work we do, even in the setting of the desire to actually build wealth, he puts a check on it in which he wants us to know clearly it doesn't last. So do you have a true treasure that lasts? The true treasure that lasts is actually pursued by what you focus on. That's why Jesus goes to speak about the eyes next. Notice what he said. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I imagine that as Jesus said this, he almost said it with a sense of grief. For on many occasions, when Jesus saw the true situation of people, he was filled. It says like he's moved in his guts with compassion for people. And he's like, oh, how great is the darkness of someone whose eyes don't see properly. And what he's talking about here is a metaphor for focus. So if your focus is on that which only brings darkness, then your whole body will be full of darkness. 
your whole life. But if your eyes are focused on what will actually bring light and life and love and goodness, then your body, your life is going to be filled with that as well. Two principles, two realities. We will focus on something. Everyone worships something. The second reality is this, that what you focus on can have a dramatic impact on the condition of your heart. What you focus on can have a dramatic impact on your heart. I had a fellow friend and student here share with me that he had been listening um, to music uh, in another language than, than his first language. And it was a whole genre of breakup songs. And he's like, you know, after a lot of listening to that, I, I felt sort of low, heavy-hearted, right? What we focus on has a dramatic impact on the condition of our heart. And if, if the pursuit of wealth is simply for the pursuit of wealth, it will focus our life and create darkness, is what Jesus is saying. It is good to be good at business. I'm thankful for accountants. I'm thankful for entrepreneurs. I'm thankful for people who do their work well. The Proverbs are full of direction on building wealth slowly. But the idea is that as you build the wealth slowly, you also build the character required to bear the weight of the responsibility that accompanies it. You'll find that within the Scripture. But if your focus is simply on the wealth, it will hollow out your life. It will create darkness inside and Jesus actually treats it more serious than that. He says it creates evil in us. This is the wisdom from heaven, that, or the earthly wisdom that James speaks of in James 3. That earthly wisdom that is um, full of envy and selfish ambition. And there, he says, you will find a heart that is filled with every kind of disorder. In the Hebrew tradition, to look with an evil eye was to actually look with an envious eye. An envious eye cannot rejoice in others' successes. An envious eye says, well, why didn't I get that? I'm entitled to that. I'm better than them. An envious eye moves quickly to actually say, well, what can I do to eliminate the competition? Like Cain did of Abel. He eliminated him 
as he was competing for the favor of God. How messed up is that? And then he speaks of two lords, two treasures, two focuses, two lords. Notice what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Two lords, but you can only serve one. You'll either hate one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one or you'll despise the other. Two realities of lordship. The first reality of lordship is this. You can't serve two masters. Now, this is difficult to us because we're, we're used to having two or three jobs, right? And we're like, I have two or three bosses in my life. Some of you have one job, and you're like, I've got three bosses. It's a terrible way to live. But Jesus is trying to say here that in his use of the word master, it's actually the word lord, lordship. You can only have one lord in your life. The second reality of lordship is this. In a world where money or the word that Jesus used, mammon. In a world where mammon seeks to rule, Jesus offers another way. Mammon, money, will always seek to rule your life, whether by giving you plenty or by keeping you from having a lot. How many times have you said, well, I can't do that because I don't have any Money. Oh, money is your master. You can't do something because you don't have money? We default to that so quickly under the guise of just being realistic. Credit cards really mess with the realities. Debit cards do too. Apps on your phone do as well because we don't experience the pain of actually pulling out that 20 and seeing it disappear so quickly from our hand to theirs. And then we eat the meal and we're like, where did it go? (laughs) But Jesus speaks here of money's lordship. Money seeks to be Lord. The stuff of earth seeks to be Lord in our lives. Now, this is strange because God created us for four relationships. A relationship with God, with self, with people, and with the stuff of earth. But the stuff of earth competes for our allegiance, for our affections. And not only that, most of the stuff of earth and the services of earth have now been commodified. They no longer operate in the realm of relationships so often. They operate in the realm of commodification and simple transactions and money. For some of you, money provided a lift for your family out of the poverty created by not being in the right family group or the right situation, the right tribe. And so the commodification actually provided a way out for you 
and that now you weren't caught in a classism or a caste. Money provided a lift. But the danger for most of us is that money seeks to become Lord in our lives by ruling us, telling us what we can and can't do, rather than actually centering our life with God and our life with others. How often have you said, I can't be generous because I don't have a lot of money? Oh, all the the questions and thoughts about how I operate my life in regards to money can't actually be activated in my life because I don't have a lot. Someday when I win the lottery, I will help out. Really? You think you will. Are you helping today? If you're not helping today, you probably won't because you're not building the character and life that's ruled by Jesus Christ as Lord. You're letting money be your Lord. But the good news of lordship is that in a world where money seeks to rule, Jesus offers another way. He's the Lord. If the Lord Jesus Christ sets your focus, your heart will be drawn to heavenly treasures, and you will be filled with light and love and goodness. But if your Lord is money, and it sets your focus, your heart will be drawn to earthly treasures and will be filled with darkness and evil and envy and the high cost of greed. Jesus preached this message as good news to the poor and the rich. It's good news for the poor because there are heavenly treasures that money can't buy, and some of them are available now. It's good news to the rich. There are heavenly treasures that are available now, and money can't buy them. Money can't buy you love. So what are you to do? How can you actually move forward in examining the condition of your heart and your relationship with money? I'm going to give you three quick solutions. They're actually processes. But the first one is this. You need to open an HSA. An HSA. A heavenly savings account. You need to open it. You need to start a life with Christ Jesus and let him bring the healing. And he's opening that account, an HSA in your name, and he's filling it with grace. And then your life of response to grace means that your behavior and life begins to change. Your values begin to change. Once I wanted a Jaguar, but now I'm very happy with a Honda Fit. 
that's true, actually. <laughs> it's really true. So let God open an HSA in your name and fill it. One of the ways you can see if you're living into your HSA is if you track your spending. I know all of you thought I was going to say start a budget. But the beginning to actually budgeting is to track your spending. And there's an app for that, more than one. Track your spending and see what your spending says about your values and about what you're doing with it. Second thing to do is Jesus can heal your eyes, but he's going to take some time to do it. So take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath break. Throughout the scripture, God invited Israel into the gift of the Sabbath, a day of rest, of reconnection and reflection. Take a Sabbath day where you quit living like a slave who has to work seven days a week. Take a Sabbath as one of his children. Take a Sabbath so you can break from the slavishness that our bosses and minor lords in this world seek to give us. And then finally, Jesus really is available to liberate us from the domination of mammon, of money. So surrender. Surrender. In surrendering to him, he gets to fill your life. I mean, among the disciples, there were some of them who had plenty. They had jobs. And when confronted with the impossibility of being perfect before Christ and, and feeling like, Jesus, haven't we done enough yet? They said, We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus promised them that there were gains to be had in this world and in eternity. So surrender. The surrender says it's 100% yours. Surrender says I'm 100% yours. This is what breaks the ties of mammon. We have to do it every day. There's bills to be paid. There's a sense of expectation that some of you carry with your own family about the expectations of your future. They're very closely tied to money and mammon. Jesus offers you a freedom from that. Jesus offers you a movement into genuine life so that not just your life is redeemed, but so is theirs. 
for they're brought into the reality of the kingdom. And the reality of the kingdom is one of abundance, not just scarcity. This is the grace that we need. Heavenly Father, we set our lives before you and we set our hearts. We pray that you would help us to do life with you, to do business with you, to move into the sense of rest and of grace that comes only through surrender to you. Lord, you know that our ties to money are very emotional. That questions and issues of spending and saving and what we've done with it and extravagance, generosity, or just getting by, all of these are emotional triggers in our life where we need your healing We need your grace. We need your wisdom. So come, Lord Jesus. 